What if I said, you are the single most important breath in my space. You are the first gear that turns the clock of my world. You are the final drop of dew that breaks down the universal dam of miscommunication. I need you with every blood cell and cranial nerve I possess. Do you believe me? Does that change anything? What if I said, oops, actually, no. We are sitting in a rented space on top of concrete ground, laid upon a planet fast losing her steam. You are barely a breath in the time-space continuum. You're here, you're gone. We'd all move on without a care. You do not make an impact. You do not give or take anything of import in your ridiculous little life on this plastic earth. I am exactly what you think you see. I am indeed an actor human. Paid in cash or credit or so much love and cookies to say these lines that a writer human wrote so that I might speak them in my actor human resonant voice. Today we're taking a break from the disasters in the news to sit down with the playwright Hansel Chong. One of Hansel's recent plays, titled Wolf Play, is currently at the Soho Repertory Theatre in Manhattan, presented in association with Ma Yi Theatre Company. We'll insert some ex excerpts of the play into this episode so you get a sense of the plot and style if you don't have the chance to see it yourself. I went to see Wolf Play two weeks ago and was really impressed and moved by its story and staging. If you've listened to us for a while, you probably know that I'm somewhat obsessed with transnational adoption, and you might have heard an earlier episode with Professor Corey Graves, author of A War-Born Family on Black Korean Adoption. Hunsor's Wolf Play also deals with transnational, transracial adoption. It was inspired by the true story of quote-unquote human rehoming. In 2013, Reuters published an unbelievable investigation into adoptive parents who were using Yahoo and Facebook to advertise and transfer their adopted children to other homes. In Wolf Play, Hansel imagines the life of a young adopted Korean boy named Chinu, who has been moved from one family to another. Hansor grew up in South Korea and South Africa and went to graduate school in the U.S. Her plays, including Wild Goose Dreams, No More Sad Things, Cardboard Piano, and Among the Dead, have been produced all over the world and deal with themes of interracial and queer love, the internet, Korean history, and migration. She has also written for TV, including Tales of the City on Netflix, starring Laura Linney and Olympia Dukakis, and the forthcoming Apple series Pachinko, based on Min Jin Lee's novel. Welcome to the show, Hansor. Hi. Hey, it's so good so. to see you and to meet you. And um, yeah, I'm a fan of yours. And um, we haven't had a playwright on the show. So this is very exciting for us. 
I, I've never done a podcast before, so this is okay for me Great. too. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you right now? I see you're kind of in a hotel room. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm in New York um, right now uh, in a workshop for a musical I'm writing called The Undesirables with Brian Chiara. Oh, cool. Okay. What can yeah. you say? What it's about? Um, it's it, it's a musical. It's a, a live looped musical. Um, set in 1923, 1924, about a Korean girl who smuggles herself onto the ship to get to the United States, and she lands in San Francisco, and uh, really bad things are about to happen, and uh, right at the uh, cusp of potentially being raped and kidnapped and taken to the whorehouse, an earthquake happens, and she uh, returns from the earthquake with a superpower of becoming invisible, uh, and oh, wow. finds this underground uh, vigilante group called the Undesirables who have also experienced some sort of oppression and then an earthquake and then a superpower. Okay, that <laughs> sounds they amazing. Sort of like, yeah, are trying to make the world a better place with their superpowers. So for people who don't regularly see theater, what does it mean to be in a workshop with this new play? Um. It, it's too well this is specifically a music workshop um okay usually when you say workshop you're just like um a lot of the times you have actors who will read or um sing in in this case also do the instruments of um what we've written so we can like hear it and then fix some of the things we don't like and like um you know it's like to to Make it better. Sometimes it gets better, sometimes worse. But that's the idea. <laughs> it's just make a play better, like and like stand it up on its feet. Some. Well, let's let's start with your your family and your upbringing. Um, as I said in the intro, you grew up. You were born in Korea, uh, but you spent a mm-hmm. lot of time in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, say a little bit about those migrations and why you went from one place to another. Um, my dad's a pastor, and he was studying. He he, he was going to get his master's and PhD at University of Stellenbosch, and so we were there from eighty nine through ninety six. Well, wow. December ninety five. Well, it was during apartheid. It was, it was during yeah. apartheid. Um, yeah, I feel like I do have to one day unpack all the all the all of that. Yeah. But um, were you guys mostly with Black South Africans? Like, what was the community that you were? Kind of in. Um, it was it was white actually was white. because I went to a white school because mm-hmm. for um, I think my my dad says and I re- learned this sort of like after I was a grown up like like maybe like five years ago mm-hmm. that we were considered honorary white as it's Asians weird. as a- well mm-hmm. not as Asians because Chinese were categorized as colored and i think mm-hmm. it has to do with the business ports that were opened i see um so japan and korea were like business partners wow. and chinese was communist i don't know i am actually not very um That's sure that what i'm saying is the truth but, uh, <laughs> from what you gleaned I, from your dad <laughs> yes i know yeah. for a fact that i went to a white school and my, mm. and my best friend at school was white yeah. I also remember, I think it was third or fourth grade, so it must have been 1992-93 after Mandela was released, the school had like a school-wide vote on whether or not we're going to let in um, black people. Oh my gosh. Um, 
I'm not sure if it was like any black people or like migrants from African countries in general. Mm. Mm-hmm. I know that because one of my close friends were um, like MKs. So I was a missionary's kid from yeah. I think Zimbabwe, and we were um, our families were close. We did barbecues together. Um, and it was like really important for me. I think at that time of like this kid comes to school so we can play soccer. Yeah, right. <laughs> the kid's eye view of I like, just politics. I remember that right? very clearly and being like, I wish I could vote, but I can't. And also, we were like not allowed to talk about it in school because I think it was probably a very charged uh, atmosphere in the PTA. Wow, I had so no you- idea it was segregated though. As a kid, I was just like, This is South Africa. <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> this is where no Koreans are. That's yeah, all I'm yeah, thinking. Exactly. <laughs> My grandmother is not here. Yeah. So in your guys' household, you spoke Korean when you were in South Africa, but you were schooled in English, I assume? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. English and Afrikaans, which I don't okay. remember any of. You don't remember? Yeah. <laughs> and then how old were you when you moved back to Korea? Uh, is it, I guess, 13? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just terrible. Yeah, I must. That must have just been such an insane tradition. Like transition. What was that like for you? I was, you know, a very good student in South Africa. I was winning things. I was like the first chair of the school orchestra. <laughs> Fancy. Uh, I know. I was like killing it, and then I went to Korea, and I was no longer killing it because I was like behind on everything. Um, and. <laughs> And so what was your relationship to the various languages in your life at that time? That's the other thing um, that I, I, um, I think I spoke with a, a weird accent, but also I wasn't very aware of the Chundemal, like the sort of mm-hmm. uh, how to address people. Yeah. And um, like the upperclassman who is like one year above me, who is my sister, my sister is one year above me. So I'm like, I'm not going to talk in honorifics to you. And they're right. like, yes, you are. <laughs> like, what the hell is this kid? Um, so like, you know, they get upset at me. But one of my teachers who I ended up really um, getting along with and she helped me a lot, thought I was special ed and would oh, talk wow. to me really uh-huh. loudly. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so that was a shameful part of my life. But then, you know, I got over it and then it was fine. Yeah. And so do you, I don't know, I mean, you're doing most of your work now in English, but do you still function mostly in Korean? Or is there a way to quantify which language is more yours at this point? Um, I I don't know. I think it's like emotional states, what I'm doing, like there's different languages for that. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm, if I stub my toe, I'll still yell out in Korean. But (laughs) if I'm like writing, like, like, what is this character doing? Like, what do they sound like? They sound like the thing that they speak in. Mm-hmm. Um, or if I'm trying to like parse out Korean politics, it comes out in Korean. If I'm trying to talk about the immigration policies in Korea, uh, in, in the States, it's yeah. in English. It's just like the vocabulary, yeah. uh, the machine, right? That, that provides those sort of languages. Totally, and it's yeah. programmed language, I think. So I kind of have both of that. Yeah. But in terms of like, what's what am I more comfortable with? I would say um, not comfortable with either. <laughs> it feels like seventy percent of both. Where I'm like, yeah, I can I can imagine. Yeah, I'm your a little bit, a little bit not awesome at either, and it's a or... miracle that I'm a writer. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
You're faking it really well. Um, speaking Yay. of Korean politics, do you have thoughts on the election that you can articulate in English? <laughs> I know. It's so upsetting that it's such a close margin and it's going to be so... It just feels like the Trump loss again, um, which, yeah. you know, I had no power to vote and... Mm-hmm. It was sort of happening, and I was like, oh, my God, this is four years of my life. This is a little different because I don't live there anymore, but also I just, I still have really deep roots there. And, um, you know, just like his platform being on, um, yeah, let's just reverse. (laughs) I mean, I don't think it's just simple misogyny. It's like like systemic misogyny. Of course. I'm going to run on the platform of I will undo um, like the department. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, abolishing the gender ministry, right. Is one of yes, his kind of, like key platform yeah. points. And, and, and yeah. um, I just feel like, because like when you're not living there, you're not, um, I don't feel it like in my, on my, in my daily life, the sort of actual conflicts that are happening. And I talked yeah. to my sister and she's like, well, these are what these kids are like, and it's kids, and it's like these men in their 20s, right? And um, I get it, you're not getting jobs, and you're upset about it, but... Um, right. But they're enacting the a backlash against women, you know, blaming their kind of financial immobility on women, and... Right. Yeah. Um, and do you... I, I assume that your your parents are still in the church, and I'm wondering if you have thoughts on kind of the role of Christian conservatives, because around women's issues and queer yeah. rights and all the sort of progressive aims around the anti-discrimination movement in Korea, most of that has been blocked and obstructed by the Christian right wing. Church. Yes. Um, it's very complicated. My dad... I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. My dad's a pastor. He's a liberal pastor. But, um, okay. but also there's... I mean, the church system itself, Presbytery because we're Presbyterian, the Presbytery uh, has, yeah, they, they are the ones that pass the law. Has its positions, right? Yeah. Yes, and mm-hmm. um, it no longer is about communal belief or spiritual ascendance. It's about power. As yeah. soon as you get um, married to political, I mean, politics is about power. It's about who has the voice that, that everybody else will listen to. And um, I believe, and I mean, this is what the church has taught me too. It's like, you, like you cannot talk. Of, you like power is not a thing that should exist inside the church. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like saying those beliefs, like enforcing them down other people's throats, are the antithesis of what the church belief is. So, I, I find it very corrupt and obviously terrible. Are you still in the church? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, my partner and I go to a Mystic Congregational Church okay. in Mystic, Connecticut, and it's kind of funny because my pastor, um, Krista, she's um, she's gay and mm-hmm. um, talks about her wife Sarah in sermons like almost once every every Sunday. <laughs> uh, but our church has a sisterhood with a church in Korea, and so like. You know, talking to her about how they navigate that has been. Well, yeah, that must be extremely challenging. Interesting, right? Yeah, because yeah. like she would go visit the church, and they'll be like, "Don't tell them you're queer. You can't tell them that you're gay." I see. 
so in the, in the new play and well in wolf play um for folks who haven't seen the new parents who receive the adopted child are ash and robin who are a queer couple in san francisco um and you know they have sort of their own um internal household drama that is <laughs> accentuated by the arrival of this boy um but what t- talk a little bit about your process of kind of creating queer couples um and queer romantic themes in your plays i know that this is also true um in another play of yours, which deals with a romance between a missionary kid, mm-hmm. right, and a local um, in Uganda. We get in the car and drive to the checkpoint. Get in the car and drive to the Uganda. Honey, find your way to the bus stop. Figure it out. Why? They know. My parents, they know about us. <gasps> yeah. Oh, the rings. I had our names written on the inside as a surprise for you, and she asked about, so I told. And they didn't. Oh, of course not. Why would you do this? It's not safe. It, it's not safe. Without even one word of just did you? I thought that they might take you too. If I. For us. Oh, come on. My auntie is going to have me cute. Cute, Christina. Did you think about that one? What it means to me if the people here find out? Do you know what that means for me? Well, for Wolf Play, I think. Uh, the central question of writing it for me was, um, what, what is family? Why do we need it? What do we look mm-hmm. for when we are, when we are seeking family? Because I think even when you have yeah. one, you're like trying to define that and seek things from it, um, and during the time of like first thinking about this play was was like. 2013, 2014, where mm-hmm. um, legalizing gay marriage was a hot button issue, and and it was every politician like ran on that platform. And there's yeah. just a lot of discussions around it, um, and I was sort of on the periphery of it. I didn't really, I understood the arguments for or against or whatever. Um, you didn't have strong feelings but, about it at the time. Well. I had strong feelings that um, of both ways of like, yes, I, I should, every citizen should have the right to um, marry and become like one household for government purposes, for tax purposes, for mm-hmm. taking care of each other's health <laughs> purposes right, yeah. if they chose to. But on the other hand, it's also an institution and so, um, you know, it kind of felt like the margin- like LGBTQ community trying to find their way into mainstream. And, right. Yeah, there was a lot of dissent sort of like, within oh, the queer community around this. Yeah. Like, like, is like, this I, the goal? Yeah. yeah. But then that's just my opinion. And I right. think as a, as, a, um, as a whole, I think you need to give everyone a, a chance to be in the system if they should want to, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so all that was just in my ear a lot. And so in that way, like, what does that mean that you want to become an institution with this person you love? And what does that entail? And what does it yeah. mean? Because, like, it then it becomes very, you know, qu- queer couples, children, and fa- queer families are very specific. Like, there's an intention behind it. It doesn't happen that you're, like, at high school prom and then suddenly you have a kid. You right. know, it's it's um, very intentional and it's hard and, and, and uh, has economic implications of like you need to be at a certain 
economic level to adopt. Yeah. You have to be able to afford um, trying to get yourself pregnant if that's what you wanted to do. Totally. And, so there's a lot of planning involved, and I think that was like, oh, I wonder if there's something there where um, the desperation of wanting a child, I get it. And I also get how terrible it is to get a child off the internet. And that's right. sort of like, it didn't seem like it was very um, belonging together. And I was like, oh, let's put mm. these two things together. <laughs> yeah. No, I loved that. And also in the context of transnational adoption, I mean, most agencies that I'm aware of that do um, handle transnational adoptions do discriminate against queer couples, right? And so it's not as though a queer couple can say, well, we're going to bring a child from whatever country if they want to either. Yeah. Um, And in this relationship between, um, yeah, how did you, how did you envision this couple? Um, I found it to be a really compelling couple, um, Ash and Robin, um, Ash is uh, a really kind of charismatic and grumpy boxer, I guess. <laughs> One way to describe it. Um, Robin is um, Robin is a woman who you know really wants to be a mom, mm-hmm. uh, much more than Ash in the beginning. Uh, how did these mm-hmm. these people come to your mind? Um. No, it it just like evolved through the times. I think I knew. It's, I mean, like you know, writing plays for me is just like throwing stuff that interests me that maybe don't belong each- together into the mm-hmm. ring and see how they react against each other. Yeah. Um, and I've always been fascinated by athletes, mm. like when you're doing something with your body and like how you feel like you have to protect it from the world, but also mm. like. You know, it's very, like, self-involved thinking. Um, and, like, but also, like, the love of the body and, like, sort of connection that you have is interesting. Um, and, like, also this uh, a person who supports that and, like, is in love with that. And it's, like, that's sort of a dynamic that was always, like, interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and... I think maybe because I was trying to figure out like do I do I stay here in America mm. at the time of writing this. I see. Um it that that sort of anxiety and questions sort of all went into this couple of and and in a way they are created in a way that that they are sort of they've anchored each other anchored sort of the their meaning of life in each other. Yeah. Um, and in subtle ways, but you, and, and I decided that is what this family is like, that, that is what family is for me is when you have somehow anchored the purpose of your being into another human. Mm. And it is the, I guess the story then is about um, how Gino sort of, does that too. Right. He anchors purpose of his being into the hearts of these two people. Um, and and then the violence of the um, you know, questioning that. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> like queer couples have that questioned a lot. Like and and you know 
Yeah, and like the legal fragility of those those bonds, like you can right. feel them so intensely, and yet like there's all this legal yeah. apparatus that doesn't necessarily recognize that. Yeah. Right, at any given time, any any moment, it could it could just be taken away. In different totally. states, they would sort of recognize it. Exactly. But like, uh, um, I'm Peter. You're the dad. Yes, uh, was uh, legally at this point. I hope you go to hell. Oh. <laughs> Get the fuck out of my house. I don't think that kind of language is necessary. Get your ass the fuck out of my house, or I'll throw you out the window like your mother should have done. Hey, let's let the man go. Did I say anything but I said get out? Get out. Get the fuck out of my house. How about you back off, okay? I didn't drive all the way out here to be disrespected by some. By some. I don't know who you are, but you have absolutely no right to talk to me this way. Yeah. Just watch your mouth, okay? The kid is only six. We can import him from Asia. We can put him up for auction the minute something doesn't feel right. But hey, now be careful of the effort. One thing I was curious about is, uh, and we had a question actually from one of our listeners about about this, about the race in the play and whether mm-hmm. you were thinking about um, the casting for this play. And I know there's obviously a director. It's not just you involved in the production, but in a race blind way or like, you know, how you were kind of building these characters, like, I guess, just very superficially, like Ash looks black. Um, you know, Robin looks maybe Latina, Robin's brother looks black, um, the child is Korean. But, you know, is this, are these significant factors in the play or are these sort of incidental to the play? Um, to be really honest, I think I did. And maybe still, I definitely, I, I still do have an anxiety about writing race. Mm-hmm. because I don't get it. What do you mean? Expand on that. I don't... Um, the sort of... I understand it theoretically. I understand it living through it here. But the rage of being um, differentiated on a day-to-day basis and oppressed because of mm-hmm. your race does not live in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, like the first time I really felt it was uh, last year in March where because where of the murders like, in Atlanta yeah the mur- mm-hmm. and then and then the flurry of texts and concerns and emails and calls that I got from like friends and colleagues about it yeah um, and then um, since then there's been like a sort of a awareness as I walk the street of like oh I could be hurt Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we were doing tech for Soho Rap, there were, uh, oh, when we were just starting rehearsal, um, you know, there was, there were, <laughs> I, I just like couldn't, because this was in Je- um, February, January, February, I just like did not stand on subway platforms in the way I used to. I would always like sort of be in the wall and like sort of resented being like, yeah. I'm really upset that I have to think about this now. Totally. Um, and on the opening night was when, the murders happened literally in Chinatown where we were, where the show is. Um, And still. Of of Christina Yonali, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. She's, she was like, what? Three years younger than, like it it literally could have been me. Yeah. And like those kind of thoughts, I think. 
start to so so it starts to get into my body of like oh this is what it really really is but in terms of like mm. what the overall um i don't know i don't feel like i i feel it in my body to be able to write it into my play uh-huh. um what i write into my play from my body i think is the anxiety of being alien to everyone everywhere mm-hmm. And the sort of loneliness of that, the sort of um, chameleon talents that come from that, the yeah. um, the need for everyone to sort of just um, indulge in my alienness while also take me as and fold me in as one of them. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of um, alive in all of my plays, that sort of... Um, mm-hmm sadness about the alien and and the anxiety about not knowing enough things about anything um and so it's a good description it, of art making generally i think right it's kind of artist <laughs> orientation of being kind of on the fringe or this outsider status or sympathetic with the outsider yes yeah so like um in terms of race i just wanted everyone to be american yeah, and um, I think during workshops of this place, which were many, they I just sort of quickly realized, oh, race says so much. Yeah, um, and I'm gonna leave it up to the people who are making it mm-hmm. for their community, but it just has to be every um, you you like if everybody in the play except Gino is black, that's one kind of story. If everybody is white, that's one kind of, that's a different kind of story. Yeah. If everyone so is Asian, again, different story. And I'm like, that's not the story. I need it to not be that story. Right. I need it to be not, um, I, I need all of them to come from different racial backgrounds. Okay. So there's not a, um, visual monolithic world that the kid is coming up against and then it becomes more about what he's coming up against than about how they are melding together into in like into each other's oddnesses if that makes sense it does and so it's not something the race of the characters isn't something that's articulated on the page of the play or or what kinds of instructions are actually like physically in the paper of the play versus like your communication with, you know, the dramaturge or the casting director or the director? I, I think I wrote, it has to be racially diverse. Okay. It has to be racially diverse. Um, and, um, and Wolf has to be of East Asian descent because it's sort of like positions right. him as the soul of the boy. And it's really weird. The yeah. soul of the boy is not Asian. Right, that would be strange. Yeah, we should explain for, for those who haven't seen it that the boy Jinu is not an actual boy in the play, but is an adult who is speaking through a puppet, um, yes. <laughs> who is also a wolf, and so wolf play. But um, and we will again, we'll insert some clips into the the show. But um, yeah, and so the the um, actor who plays the boy through the puppet through the wolf <laughs> is a kind of like Asian looking person. Yes, Asian looking person, I think helps <laughs> sort of you buy the idea that he's totally maybe may like the spirit animal of this child. Um, yeah, I, I think, think I've had versions where the the father from Arizona was black, 
and Robin was Asian. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. And, you know, as soon as either mom is Asian, it creates like, an, uh, again, the story of like, oh, they like each other because the same. Right. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, and, and also like I that. think in the Soho Rep production, the father who abandons the child is white and the receiving yeah. family is multiracial, non-white. And so that also kind of reads in a particular way, you know, to an American audience, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yes, it does. <laughs> and I'm like, <clears throat> I, I cannot stop that. I also don't understand yeah. enough about how it reads. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Did you... Did you get interested in theater when you were in South Africa? Um, no, no. It was um, NYU, actually. Oh, wow. So it was I, pretty late, actually. Okay. Yeah, it was, I went, to, I was like here on an exchange program mm-hmm. when I was a sophomore. Uh, I was going to do comparative lip studies between Tony Morrison and Alice Walker and Huh. Uh, um is um, not what I did. <laughs> I just went to shows all the time. I just, I just like some. I discovered cabaret and Rent, and I saw Rent five times. I like lined up outside that theater, and um, I just got obsessed with musicals. Wow. And then when I okay. went back to Korea, I got a summer job uh, being a translator and assistant director to. Um, a director who who they flew in from the U.S. to direct Jack Van Hyde, which became wow. a hit, and and <laughs> I just got hired back again over and over and over, and I just that sort of became my life was musical theater directing and wow. translating. Okay. Um, though I kind of feel like I got like sucked in, conned in into it. I, it was never like a <laughs> I like theater. I want to do. Mm-hmm. I'm a writer. I, like I definitely want to be a writer when I grow up. Was not at all how it happened hmm. um i was if the if i had a dream um i would say i was go i wanted to be a female ambassador to the middle west hmm okay yeah i was like really into international politics hmm. in asia which i don't know why yeah it was a little commie i think in high school <laughs> I'm very idealistic. Well, and also you're, yeah, you had an international upbringing, so that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So that, the musical part of it, so when you are writing a play that has music in it versus a play that doesn't have music in it, like Wolf Play, um, what is that, how is that process different? And do you actually write the literal notes of the music as well as the libretto, or are you just doing the text of the music? Um, it's it's text. Um, I think that's why I wanted my brother to write some of the music because it feels mm-hmm. like it's not um, like when when I incorporate songs, like I guess into uh, a play, it's more about like the emotionality of it, not the musical um, prowess that's important. At least mm-hmm. in those plays, in those moments, yeah. I would say like all plays, at least for me. If, are composed, not just written. I think because it is mm. so oral, it's an oral, it's a highly oral form. Um, like even in Wolf Play, there was no music, but like those kitchen scenes, how they sort of like talk against and with each other on counterpoint. That's yeah, totally. Very, very musical, fugal, like, right? Yeah, going yeah. from this long monologue 
like feels like an aria into a scene where it's sort of like mm-hmm. more staccato and like you know I think I think very much about build-ups and pace pace and kinds of consonants sure. used in the sentence and um, I think like yeah and I and I played the violin as a kid pretty seriously and I think that and then musicals like all of that sort of like stayed mm-hmm. of in terms of like how I understand performance. Mm-hmm. Hold up, Ash. Ash, are you back? Good morning. How you doing? I'm getting some things for breakfast. The way to eat, okay? Yeah, I saw him. I was there almost all night. I don't know. He looks like what Asian kids look like. Like an Asian kid. Nah, way older. Six. Katie. Katie, where'd you put the milk? Of course. It's insane. Tried what I could, but you know, stubborn Robin. No, not in the freezer either. No, she didn't know either. She thought he was three. She got pumped. But what you gonna expect from the internet? It's all right. I got it. But it's okay to mix formula with breastfeeding. Yeah. Okay. No, no, we didn't press it with Paul. Honey, do you have the email of those people that you found? There was no time to ask. The kid was crying like a siren. I thought we should check in to see. Yes, he was crying. No, I'm not being clingy. It's a new house with new people. I just wanted to check in. Everything was blue. You never told me to listen. Why don't you just talk to her yourself? It's okay. Never mind. Yeah, those kitchen scenes are really remarkable. Um, so in Wolf Play, the adoptive, the original adoptive father um, is often in a kind of fugue-like pattern with um, the brother of the family in which Chinu has mm-hmm. been rehomed. And so there's this incredible spatial thing where they're kind of circling each other. And that yes. boxy space of the kitchen also becomes the boxy space of the boxing ring um, through these right. sort of magical, for me, magical anyway, like stage settings that come down from the ceiling. Um, so I, yeah, I, I did feel that that was very musical, although there isn't music necessarily. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. But when it's a musical, it's actually um, like songs in a, in in the show feel different. Like Wild Goose Dreams was a play with songs, but it still felt yeah. like a musical because it was just so. I mean, like you had a cast of ten sort of walking around singing totally. in binary codes in a cappella, and so you need to like do the actual logistics of like who's keeping tempo, how are we getting the notes, and how we are we need to like rehearse this over and over again. And, um. So in, in Wild Goose Dreams, um, you this is the story of a North Korean defector who meets a goose father, and we can explain what a goose father is, a South Korean yes. goose father, um, on the internet and sort of have a tryst and, you know, kind of fall in love-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, Ish. <laughs> it has a feeling, yeah, of like an experimental musical. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought this was... I mean, it's obviously extremely different from Wolf Play, but it has certain, you know, there are some certain themes that are overlapping again, I would say. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Why was this something you were interested in? Were you reading on North Korean defectors? Was this, or were these just sort of like really interesting characters in your mind? Um, yeah, I was reading about North Korean defectors redefecting. And this was back in 2014, I think. Um, and... I mean, it's sort of almost like the same play. I'm just like writing the same thing over and over again. <laughs> of like um, the, you know, migration, yeah. the, the the excitement and the problems of migration, and um, and a goose father 
what is a goose father and, and why is that an important figure in, in kind of modern Korean life? A goose father is a father who sent his entire family, usually to America, like New Zealand, some, some English-speaking country for the education of the kid. Um, usually, like, the mom goes with, um, or some, sometimes the mom goes with, and it's just the father who stays to make the money. And the reason we call it goose father, Kirogyapa, is because he will migrate seasonally to see his family mm-hmm. <laughs> and come back to Samsung to make the money. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think for... I, I just thought it was an interesting mashup because yeah. of um, when when North Koreans um, come to South Korea, it, it you know we call it defection, yeah, and it is for a better life, right? And you did that, you and you know I think in a way. This group thinking that 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 thinks about it like yes, of course, of course, it's a good thing. So it's, it's a better life, right? Yes, yeah. of course, it's of course. Like, who wouldn't want to escape a communist regime and um, escape to where you can be free and do what you want? Of course, that's true. But um, just thinking through, it's just so arrogant, I think, of South Koreans or or um, non North Koreans to think that way because because none of us have been there. But all of us know um, what what you like. What you grew up with is what you know. The idea of comfortability and leaving that is always terribly and terribly complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you hated the place you grew up in, it is it is just a part of your body. Totally. Um, you you react to certain street names. You react to certain smells and in, in the in the air when the season comes around and you're reminded of, I mean like that's so part of your body and when you leave it knowing you will never be able to come back to it including people like the the candy store used to go as a as a five-year-old or the person the place yeah, where absolutely. you had your first kiss it's like it's I think devastating um but I think it's lonelier when you don't get to talk about that devastation mm-hmm. it feels you know it feels like the world in general sort of takes it for granted that now you're in a better place. You know what? Like that sort of used to drive me yeah, crazy absolutely. when Americans were like, yeah, refugees, welcome to America. You're so welcome. Um, and I was like, no, they're, they're leaving homes that are more valuable than you understand. Yeah. And, and that's sort of, I think, where that started from, like sort of looking at myself being like, why the hell are they def- redefecting was my first response to mm-hmm what I was reading about that and um, that I think that sort of first response that was was the beginning of the play where I was like that's mm-hmm. kind of that's a really interesting knee, knee jerk response that I had and then the matchup of the father was um, he's, the, he's the guy who got left you know his, yeah. his daughter again went to America for a better life um, and you know, is probably going to forget a lot of what made her her in this her new country, like old country. It's gonna forget a lot about the father and the sadness of. But like, 
the complication of like it's better for her that way but also right. the sadness of not being a part of your life is um i thought was was the same thing mm-hmm. in a way and so that's what they bond over and sort of um, where the connection happens anyway. Yeah, I think it's very smart to mirror those relationships. And yeah, I know that in um, interviews I've done with defectors, like, yeah, there's just like this ex- totally lifetime unresolved, you know, sadness of, and yeah. also the adjustment to the, you know, very isolating capitalist economy of South Korea, right? There's a number of things going on that that make that transition very difficult. Um, I guess in recent years, there's been more criticism, I think, of the term defector, tarbukta. Yes. And maybe more like italjumin or other sorts of, you know, kind of substitute terms have been tried. But most people still think of them as kind of like defectors who have gone the happy way. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's another play I was curious about um, among the dead that that plays with some themes in Korean history. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it takes place in a Korean hotel room. And I think you had said in the past that you were kind of inspired by the story of Korean comfort woman or were kind of thinking about that as you were writing this. Um, mm-hmm. Describe the play a little bit and kind of what you hope to achieve. Among the dead? Oh, my God. That's so long It's a long ago. time ago, right? <laughs> <laughs> One of your earliest. Yeah. That was actually my very first play that I ever, ever wrote. Mm, That's the play that wow. got me into Yale. Um, so it, it does feel like... Ancient history. But, my yeah. firstborn <laughs> yeah, in but... ancient history. Um, it wasn't the first play that got produced, but mm-hmm. yeah, it I'm still sure. feels like that's this is a play first... that... Um, where I was entertaining the idea of, oh, maybe I can, I can mm-hmm. write. Um, I, so it, it's carrying a lot of things, I think. There's a part of it that's like uh, very angry at, um, yeah, there's just a lot of anger in that play about the world. Yeah. Um, and it was like, I think coming to America was another form of culture shock, like going to South Africa, going back home, and then going to America, I'm like sure. all those things are, um, you know, I was in Pennsylvania getting a degree in musical theater directing. It was, I don't know what I was, <laughs> but there was just a shock yeah. there. And I, I, I think a lot of that shock was what the play is seated on. Um, in your education in Korea as a teenager or maybe in college, were was there a lot of talk about comfort women and kind of the history of World War II, history of the Korean War? Like how much of that um, history and revised history was in your textbooks? Uh, very, very much. And also I went to Iwa right. Girls High School yeah. and then I went oh, to Iwa okay. University, gotcha. like Yugansun, the, the whole of shipping. Course. I was just yeah. like very much like in my... Gotcha. Body in my in my head and like I don't know like the assembly hall was called the Yugansun Hall, <laughs> so it's like it was not escaping that. Gotcha. Um, um, Yugansun was a teenage revolutionary from the city of Tonan, my dad's hometown. So a big point of pride oh, in wow. that region. Um, and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. yeah, she was uh, killed by the Japanese. So go ahead. Yes, although she wasn't a comfort woman. No, she was um, not. I think uh, when I was still in college, um, 
there were several incidents of American troops who were in Korea, um, you know, sort of enacting senseless violence on the villages. And there was this actual um, case where I think two, I don't know, not like a couple like soldiers ran over to um, yeah. middle school kids, like girls. Yes. And I, I think I was part of like a, a very activist movement in college and we would go out and protest it and i was like very anti-american yeah. like how dare they treat this this country like this after they've totally. like divided us and um and i think like i was just like building all of that up against i don't really know that our school taught about colonialism or like mm. we learned a lot about the history um, leading up to the point of modern history, but like even World War Two, there was not a lot of yeah, like actual textbook lessons on. It would always be like the time where no like finals were over and we we're doing the final chapter of the history book, and like nobody cared. Was when we learned I about um, all of all of that stuff. So I don't think I had names for all the rage I was feeling yeah. against against um, like the big world movements of things that force immigration and, and migration and, and um, a diaspora. Yeah. But I think for some reason that I, that sort of is keep is, is a very emotional thing for me, I guess, cause I keep writing about it. <laughs> um, yeah. And so when I was in the States and was feeling very, that kind of oppression of, this like culture, American culture, this sort of nascent narcissism of it. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I think that's what I, I'm reacting to yeah. in that play. And I'm, I've since like evolved from that, it, like sort of rage that I don't understand phase yeah. of it. Um, but I think that's where the play started, mm-hmm. where it feels like they um, just popped out a baby and left <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> and if people want to <clears throat> look up that incident later i think it was in yangju yangju highway mm-hmm. where yes, yes. the two school girls were hit by the u.s tank that was returning from a training session and i would say that that event and maybe also the very brutal murder um, and rape of yun gumi were kind of the two mm-hmm, sort mm-hmm. of catalyzing incidents around um, base critique in the 90s and 2000s right yeah. right yeah um, one one thing I was curious about is so you were mentioning like your college activism and um, I know like those circur tongari like the college clubs yeah, yeah, yeah. in modern Korean history and the democracy movement history were extremely important in bringing about the South Korea we now know well except for Yoon Sogyeol but anyway um, and uh, oh. uh, but <laughs> in recent years. Um, there's been a lot of talk, you know, I think talk about the kind of quieting down of college activism and how those sorts mm-hmm. of or- organizations aren't, you know, as prominent in kind of activist culture. And I'm curious if you have thoughts on that about like the shape of, you know, Korean activist culture and critique. Honestly, I, I don't know that I, I have any salient thoughts on it. I, you know, it was a big part of my life when I was in my 20s. Yeah. I was very, very proud uh, of what my alma mater um, did, like the part, the role it took in in um, the whole like Pakune situation. Yeah, because um, Iwa and, College was like a, a kind of root for the impeachment movement. 
it that's re- that's really where it began yeah. because the impeachment movement um, has a, had a lot to do with um, her the president's um, I don't know psychic shaman was shaman's daughter's admission to college. <laughs> Shaman's daughter's in Richmond. Very, college very confusing. Was, that but... college was my college, yes. <laughs> and they were protesting that, right. which led to the investigation and like just more like public opinion. But exactly. also, like, it, I was really proud that they did that, but also that it was so hip. It was such a hip <laughs> protest. They yeah, were singing K pop. Yeah. It was so, and like, so involving creative, and so right? in, in creative and fun, mm-hmm. but also inviting of anybody. And it was just so was um, generous amazing. and open. Yeah. And, exciting it was an exciting movement not like a like how is this world so evil let us like yell about it you know it was just like more celebratory Mm -hmm. of a terrible thing not celebrating it but being like we we have a voice and we love it we love this having a voice like that sort of idea was so cool um and I think, well, the college movement is like as part of the democracy, um, fight for democracy. Uh, it, it really started in college, not started, but like, you know, I'm sure, you know, like in, in the uh, military regimes back in the 50s, 70s and yeah. even 80s. It was like my, my mom and dad lived through that. And, yeah. you know, that sort of and, and a lot of college kids. I say kids now, but like in my mind, they're like these like <laughs> national heroes, um, and it was like really intense and brutal, and like people were dying. Yes, and uh, it's the, obviously not that anymore. And I think there is critique of like, yeah, colleges are now just like factories for um, the labor market and like these big companies, like Samsung and Hyundai. Right to like snap up um and because uh you know jobs are so scarce it's it you know it almost feels like in college you don't you just like don't it's not a place for ideation anymore yeah. it's a place for like how many more like tag of, how many more like um things can you do to make mm-hmm. sure you, you're padded your resume and padded totally. your cv yeah and i think there was some like that, those critiques were there when I was in college, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it's gotten worse um, gotcha. as the job market also got more crowded. But you know, it's still there. Yeah, I mean, like that the the impeachment movement was like five years it's ago. True. It's true. It's not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does feel very far away though somehow right now. <laughs> I know. I know. It's we're about um, to be like yeah. thrown back into the dark ages. We'll still stop talking about Yun Sogyar now. Um, <laughs> I wanted to to ask you um, about writing for TV because um, it seems like it would be very different from what you do in theater. And um, tell is, us yeah. a little bit about so you did Tales of the City, which if folks haven't seen it, it's um, a Netflix series, um, kind of about a queer boarding house in San Francisco and families kind of uh-huh. moving back and you know in with each other and getting to know each other after many years. Um, and then of course I think. Many more of our listeners probably um, have read Pachinko and are kind of excited about this Apple series to come out. So tell us mm-hmm, about your mm-hmm. roles on on both um, shows and, you know, how it compares to your, your main medium. Um, Tell of the City was my first TV gig ever. Um, and it came about because Laura Morelli read Wolf Play. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't really 
looking to write for TV back then. Yeah. Um, but I think they were trying to staff all queer writers' room. Nice. Um, yeah, it was an amazing room, especially to like get your feet wet on. Okay. It's like, and we, we, and since then, now I know that it, it was a very special room of like there were there were no nasty people. Everyone was very like reassuring of wow. each other. It was just like a very. <laughs> Um, very like warm, inviting, and productive room where you know, uh, and I just enjoyed talking with these people every day. But then also learned like, oh, that's what it is. You just go into a room and talk. <laughs> <laughs> I could do this all day. I thought, um, and also like you know, it was a great environment, and Lauren was an amazing person to learn how to write scripts with you know um and like the anxiety of doing something that i didn't know how to do was like sort of almost non-existent because they were just so warm and mm, helpful mm-hmm. and that's great um, wa- kind wanting of surprising to celebrate and lift people up yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's not something yeah, you hear was, from most show uh, writers in tv writers rooms so <laughs> <laughs> is that true no i i do hear that i was I totally locked out and then my next room was Pachinko with Sir Hugh, which again was like in a very different way, but like there were no assholes and like I'm still really close friends with everybody in that wow. room. Um like just it just felt like doing a PhD program in Pachinko because like Sir Hugh is, is a genius, genius human as you will know once it's released on March twenty fifth. Get Apple Plus if you don't <laughs> have it already. <laughs> But it, it was just like, you know, we would spend days just like um, watching movies that were that might like uh, influence the the show and like just um, visual influences, but also thematic influences, the world. And we would like read a lot of books, have experts come in and talk um, and also, wow. like, you know, beat out the uh, beat out the stories and build build out the characters of course but like the sourcing of materials that to like sort of stimulate our sort of group brain melt was just wow amazing um, very very um, yeah it was so awesome um and invigorating intellectually and also like emotionally mm. Um, was it weird to write again, with other yeah. people because like you're you know and and to write not from scratch because in both of these for both of these shows there was an underlying text or you know and or, um, and so yeah how, how was that for you yeah I think I just went into it expecting it to be completely different yeah. and was surprised when it wasn't okay um it feels like in well for me who was mostly theater based feels like device theater in a way that where you have like a source text and you're sort of like spitballing around it. And then you're like, it's more about generating stuff and there's mm. no bad idea. Just keep talking, yeah. keep find, finding things, find things, uh-huh. find things, find story, find content, find who are these people? What are they doing? What do they want? Like those kinds of questions, um, you know, it's awesome when you can do that with a lot of, really smart people and you're not you're not where the buck stops actually I don't really like that. yeah I see right you can spread the accountability out a bit <laughs> yes yeah I'm accountable for my episode but um good luck Ethan on, on 
<laughs> episode seven. You know, I don't know. Um, I liked it. Like on, on Pinchinko, which, you know, we'll, we'll all watch, but how much, how similar is it to the book? Um, how much freedom did you guys have to kind of expand and extend the story? Well, Sue's v- vision of it is very um, unique and spectacular. She, she, for me anyway, she puts it into a very um, I think the book is very intimate and personal about an in- uh, one family and the way Sue is doing it is um, putting b- two timelines in one episode mm. so you watch Sanja being born and all that stuff with Hansu um, and like we follow her going to Japan and all that yeah. while we're watching Solomon come back to Japan. I see. So there's like the two generations sort of feed each other's story, which makes you think more macro, I think, um, in terms of the bigger movements that surround these intimate stories. Mm. Um, and in a way, it feels... Um, Yeah, it's like putting the generations in dialogue immediately with with visual tools. Yeah, wow. And were you guys writing as you were filming? No. Okay, so you were done before it all went. Okay, cool. Yeah, I really look forward to that. I guess there's only... Yeah, a couple of weeks left before that comes out now. Amazing. I know. Yeah, it's going to... I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it, though. I hope that was okay. Seems okay. <laughs> it's good to tee up the show. <laughs> are you going to have a big watching party or are you going to be in production on a play? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have a watch party in my house. I have a... <laughs> That's good. I have a... a <laughs> I have a second floor in a garage and nice. me and my partner turned it into like a lesbian speakeasy and we're calling it Jolene's. Oh my God. And we've, we've invited some of our friends to come um, That's and amazing. watch it at, in Jolene's. Jolene's <laughs> after the Dolly Parton song, I assume? Hell yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Well, I hope I get an invitation. <laughs> You're, this is. <laughs> Thank you so much for for being with us today, Hansa. This was really fun, and um, yeah, yeah we're all fans of your awesome. work and excited to see Mara. So, is there anything you want to plug? Anything coming up that we should get tickets to? I do not. Um, Jolene's. Jolene's. The Jolene's watch party. <laughs> And the undesirables, which you're workshopping now at some point in the future, somewhere in the world, we will see that in previews. So thank you so much. Thank you. What if I said, I am not what you think you see. I am not human. This floor is forest earth. And to the left of that clearing exit light, a river flows. You are not what you feel you are. You are a spider, or an eagle, or a wolf. What if I said you are a wolf? (laughs) 